dear, dear listeners, welcome to European Talks. My name is Trakina Subotic, and I will be your host for today. Two and a half months ago, we talked about the conflict in the South Caucasus that took place between uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan or the territory of Nagorno-Karabakh and the surrounding regions. Today, we see that there is no conflict anymore as Russia brokered the deal uh, took place and it was agreed with Yerevan and Baku. As it was the case the last time, we decided to invite the same guests so we can see how these uh, peace times, or let's call them peace times, are actually different. And what can we expect uh, uh, with regards to the following days, months, and years regarding the situation? Uh, first of all, I'd like to introduce uh, Mr. Anar Jahangirli, who is currently working as a consultant in public affairs and communication. He is a former diplomat from Azerbaijan with a focus also on Nagorno-Karabakh. He graduated at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. Uh, next speaker in line is Benjamin Pogosian, who is the chairman of the Center for Political and Economic Strategic Studies from Yerevan. He is the former director of the Institute for National Strategic Studies at the Armenian Ministry of Defense. And finally, he graduated at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy in the United States. My dear guests, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It is my pleasure that we're now maybe talking in a more relaxed time since there is no conflict anymore. And uh, the last time we started with Mr. Benjamin, uh, now we'll, I'll give the floor to Anar. And I'd like to quote you on one thing. During the previous podcast episode, uh, you said the following, when there is war, it is never easy to stop it. Can you tell me what do you think, what brought the sides uh, so quickly together? And were you surprised how actually uh, the war was a brief considering that for this such a short period of time, there were casualties on both sides? Thank you, thank you, Strahinia. And uh, again, I, I believe you could have as well started with Benjamin, uh, Dashun, uh, I wouldn't have minded. So uh, I believe the, uh, uh, Yes, they, it is never easy to stop the war, and I don't think it was easy to stop this war. Uh, it was a very difficult uh, journey uh, for international community and for both countries to come to a point where the parties agreed that, uh, that it's, it's, it's a time to stop the war. And I believe Azerbaijan's position was very consistent from the very beginning of the war that the Armenia has to commit to withdrawing from seven occupied regions surrounding Nagorno-Karabakh. And uh, as soon as the Armenia committed to that schedule uh, to withdrawing, uh, Azerbaijan declared that it's, it was going to stop the war because the loss of lives, uh, be it one, be it thousand, it's a big tragedy for, for any uh, country for any family and for both uh, warring sides. So therefore, uh, it wasn't easy. I think everyone wanted to finish to to, make, to bring stop to this war as soon as possible. But it came at the point when uh, I think Armenia realized that it doesn't make any sense to continue this war uh, for another weeks, uh, for another months. And that was, uh, and I think it came as a relief that both sides agreed to put uh, their signatures on the paper that this war is not going to continue and the parties uh, will stop where they are 
and uh, that is that is that brought us to the situation where we are now, which uh, uh, Azerbaijan uh, liberated the seven surrounding districts of Nagorno-Karabakh, as well as Shusha and Hadrut regions, where uh, Azerbaijani uh, most of the Azerbaijani population come from the seven surrounding districts. They will have their chance to go back to their uh, places of uh, residence before the conflict started in 1990s. Okay, thank you. Uh, I remember from the previous episode, we all agreed that negotiations were necessary. So it's a good thing that actually both sides uh, sat at the same table and they agreed. Now, I would like to give the floor to Mr. Uh, to Benjamin. Uh, I would also like to quote him from the previous episode. You mentioned the following that Negotiations are a difficult thing, but they're better than having wars over and over again. Do you stand by your statement and what's your, uh, what's your opinion of this uh, uh, ceasefire agreement? Uh, thank you, Strahinia, for this opportunity. And yes, I stand by my words, definitely. Uh, even as a bad peace is much better than a good war, let's put it this way. And regarding the negotiations, yes, we need uh, negotiations because from my point of view and uh, from by many Armenians point of view, yes, uh, the trilateral statement stopped the war, but it hasn't resolved the conflict. We again have a situation when uh, we have uh, much reduced Nagorno-Karabakh originally. I mean, in late September before the war, it had the territory of 11,500 square kilometers approximately. Now, as a result of the war and also as a result of November 10 trilateral statement, we have Nagorno-Karabakh with only 3,000 square kilometers. And we also have Russian peacekeepers uh, deployed there. But the main cause of the conflict starting from uh, late 1980s, the main cause and the roots of the conflict was the issue of status of Nagorno-Karabakh. And in trilateral statement, there is nothing on status. Uh, it's uh, neither being uh, accepted as a part of Azerbaijan or as independent territory or whatever else, which means that the key reason and the root of the conflict still uh, remains and definitely we need negotiations to move forward. Of course, now we have uh, the big change. We have the Russian peacekeepers or Russian troops deployed in the region because in the period of 26 years, 1994-2020, the ceasefire uh, was held uh, based on some balance of power between Armenia and Azerbaijan. There was no peacekeepers, no foreign troops. Now situation has been changed, which means that at least uh, for upcoming five years, because in the statement there is it's written that okay, Russian peacekeepers will stay for five years, and this can be extended or cannot be extended if Armenia or Azerbaijan thinks that they do not need Russian peacekeepers anymore. But in any case, at least till 2025, we will have Russian troops, which means that the resumption of hostilities, it's almost, uh, it's a very low possibility that hostilities will uh, resume in these five years. So I believe at least uh, we have the five year period, try to restart the negotiations and come to acceptable solution regarding the status of Nagorno-Karabakh. Otherwise uh, in 2025 or maybe later, we may have a situation when again we will come to the war. Can you tell me what would be acceptable solution regarding Nagorno-Karabakh, as you just mentioned, in the next five years? Uh, from Armenian, Armenian uh, yes, from Armenian point of view, I would like to say that when 
In 2007, these basic principles, they were elaborated by OFA Minsk Group. The idea of these basic principles was return, eventual return of territories outside of Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Region to Azerbaijan, and then organization of uh, legally binding expression of will within Nagorno-Karabakh to fix the final legal status of uh, Nagorno-Karabakh within its 1988 borders, when there was autonomous oblast of Nagorno-Karabakh in Soviet Azerbaijan, with corridor with Armenia. My understanding is that still uh, this idea is uh, acceptable for Armenia to have uh, to fix uh, status of Nagorno-Karabakh maybe uh, through a referendum. Of course, we have different situation because as my uh, colleague mentioned, yes, now approximately 30% of Nagorno-Karabakh autonomous oblast is under Azerbaijani control and only 3,000 square kilometers is under de facto Russian control. But in any case, from Armenian point of view, uh, these uh, points of basic principles that final legal status of Nagorno-Karabakh should be fixed through legally binding expression of will, this still uh, views, uh, is being viewed in Armenia as an, uh, uh, maybe the best way to move forward. Anar, uh, touching upon this legally binding will of the people, uh, what, what, what is the general sentiment in Azerbaijan? I know it was mentioned that they would like to give the highest possible autonomy to the region of Nagorno-Karabakh and to the Armenians living there, but uh, do you think any potential different compromises can be expected in the next five years? Uh, I believe the, uh, the trilateral statement uh, and where the statement indicated the parties to the conflict as Armenia and Azerbaijan both declared uh, that uh, the, the terms of the uh, stopping the war and uh, there is, as Benjamin rightly mentioned, there's nothing about the status, which means you can't talk about something which doesn't exist. Uh, so uh, the Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, as uh, used to be an autonomous oblast, it, there is no more autonomy in the region as a result of the war in the first uh, uh, first war in 90s. And Azerbaijan since then has been declaring throughout those three decades that um, Azerbaijan is ready to negotiate a solution to the conflict on the basis of uh, the territorial integrity of Azerbaijan and uh, autonomy, some form of autonomy for uh, Karabakh Armenians living in, uh, in, in the former Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast. At, at this moment, Azerbaijan has declared, and during the war actually, the president of Azerbaijan declared many times that Nagorno-Karabakh Armenians will be protected and they will they're, they're, we're treating them as the citizens of Azerbaijan. Their rights and their uh, safety and their security will be uh, uh, will be protected by Azerbaijan state, and that is the position that Azerbaijan has maintained steadily since the start of war, and that is the position that Azerbaijan is uh, declaring right now. So, the, in Azerbaijani society, as we uh, and also in the government, what we see as as a uh, prevailing opinion is that uh, the coexistence between Azerbaijanis and Armenians, so Azerbaijanis who will return to their, their places of residence within the former Nagorno-Karabakh uh, Autonomous Oblast, for example, the cities like Khojali uh, and other uh, villages in, in different parts of uh, Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast, that will be the guarantee for uh, coexistence 
between the communities and communities will work together to find a solution for their problems locally and Azerbaijani government will support those communities to thrive, to uh, uh, attract investments, to, to build new infrastructure and to build uh, workplaces and employment places, job to open uh, jobs in those in those areas. So that is the approach by the Azerbaijani government and Azerbaijani public in that regard. Okay, thank you, Anar. Regarding this, I'd like to ask uh, Benjamin. Uh, we've seen that there has been a political and societal turmoil in uh, Armenia after the ceasefire agreement was signed. There was even there violent clashes uh, in front of the parliament of uh, Armenia. Do you think that actually this situation could harm Armenia's position in the next five years regarding those uh, negotiations? And can you also touch upon on the fact that uh, there will be Russian troops or peacekeepers on the disputed uh, uh, land? Do you think this could actually help Armenians have their rights uh, further being protected in the next uh, five years? So uh, regarding the political situation in Armenia, definitely we are in a political mess now. And the reason is because everyone perceived that Armenia was defeated during the war. And the many things that the November 10 statement was a capitulation. And of course, when government signs capitulation or when government is forced to sign capitulation, it's very difficult to think that all uh, majority of population will say, okay, we are ready to thank our government because he was defeated and because he was forced to sign capitulation. Let's see how situation will um, continue or follow in Armenia. Now, at least all political forces strongly believe that the current parliament could not uh, continue its activities till end of its constitutional term, which is late 2023. All understand that Armenia needs uh, SNEP or early parliamentary elections. The issue is when these elections will take place and the issue is who will be in charge of the country before these elections. Uh, we have a united opposition of 17 parties which demand resignation of prime minister, the election of their representative as interim prime minister for one year. And then uh, after this one year, this interim prime minister will organize SNEP or early parliamentary elections. We have other people who think that Pashinyan should resign, but because my step, this ruling coalition has approximately two thirds majority in parliament, uh, this my step coalition should choose another prime minister, but from its own ranks. And this new interim prime minister, which still will uh, represent the my step uh, ruling coalition, he will steer the country until the snap parliamentary elections. And also some, and also the prime minister himself, he thinks that he should keep his position, at least for coming six months. He published a roadmap telling that, okay, I will be in charge of the government at least till May, June, 2021. And then maybe early elections will be organized, but both before the early elections and during the early elections, the current prime minister will be in charge of the country. Now it's very difficult to say which model will win or which option will become the reality. But all understand that Armenia needs early or snap parliamentary elections somewhere in 2021. This is the situation. And regarding the Armenian's position in negotiations, of course, now there could be no real negotiations in this political turmoil. I need that uh, any real negotiation can start when after the early parliamentary elections, new majority will be formed, which will have the mandate of the people. And this uh, new majority and the new prime minister 
or maybe it will be against uh, Nikol Pashinyan if his party wins, he can start the negotiations having the new mandate from the people. Regarding the deployment of uh, Russian peacekeepers, of course, uh, it was not the Armenian dream to have Russian peacekeepers or Russian troops in Nagorno-Karabakh, but from Armenian point of view, it's better to have Russian troops in Nagorno-Karabakh than to have all Nagorno-Karabakh under Azerbaijani control and all Armenians driven from Nagorno-Karabakh because uh, from the old territories which Azerbaijan took control of during these 44 days, all Armenians have been forced to leave, and not only from these territories outside Nagorno-Karabakh autonomous region, so-called seven regions or security zone, but also we have zero Armenian now either in Shushi or in entire uh, Hadrut region. So again, Armenians were not happy to see Russian troops. Uh, we would like, we would prefer the situation when Armenia itself uh, would be able to keep uh, the status quo until the negotiated solution. But uh, let's uh, put it this way, is the uh, existence or the presence of Russian troops is worse than, for example, what we have situation before the war, but is better than to have all Nagorno-Karabakh under Azerbaijani control and all Armenians being forced to leave from Nagorno-Karabakh. This is uh, Armenia's perception. As we now touched about strongly uh, on Russia, I would like to ask Anar on uh, Azerbaijani's view of uh, geopolitics. I'm sh I I've read on a couple of uh, places and I've talked to some friends and they told me that even Azerbaijani people, they're not even too happy to have Russians on, on uh, uh, the territory. So can you tell me uh, what's your take and what's the take of uh, Azerbaijani people of uh, changing geopolitics in the South Caucasus region? So let's start from Russia, but also we can move the discussion towards uh, Turkey as it goes on. Uh, very good question. I believe uh, not, no country in the world would uh, wish to see any foreign troops present uh, in, in, in that country. So no people would uh, welcome uh, unless it is absolutely necessary. So in this situation, Azerbaijan believed that uh, the, for the protection of Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh and for moving forward as a guarantee for future peace, it was, it was actually important to have Russian peacekeepers stationed there, uh, still in Azerbaijan's territory, uh, still in, under Azerbaijan's jurisdiction, uh, and all, uh, and to be able to move forward with, uh, with, with, uh, with, with peace between, uh, uh, with peace uh, in the region for that, so that the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh would feel, eventually would feel safe and secure in, in the places where they live. So that is, uh, that is the first, uh, first perception. Secondly, uh, Russia is an important actor in this region. Azerbaijan, uh, so Armenia uh, has been part of the, uh, the Collective Security Treaty Organization for many years, uh, but that hasn't prevented Azerbaijan to be very, um, to, be, to, to develop strategic relations uh, and partnership relations with Russia. So Azerbaijan and Russia has been very uh, good partners in the international arena, although not many positions have always uh, co coincided and there haven't been you know, absolute convergence of, of positions in the international arena, but, but both sides have accepted uh, that, they, that there, is, there are distinct approaches to international solutions, international issues uh, present in both Russia and Azerbaijan. So therefore, in that respect, politically, Azerbaijan was 
ready to uh, move forward with that kind of solution because Russia ha has presented this, uh, I mean, they the many attempts were made to stop the conflict, but only Russian attempt brought an end to the conflict because it was perceived as as more serious uh, attempt to stop the war, trying to convince both sides that it's high time to stop the war. And uh, stationing Russian troops, it is time bound. Uh, it is. It depends on, uh, of course, if Armenia still thinks that the Armenian population uh, uh, living in Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, in, in, in those areas, they are not safe. They will not want to stop uh, Russian peacekeepers stationed in Azerbaijan uh, and vice versa. If Azerbaijan thinks that it is high time for uh, to stop this uh, Russian presence in Azerbaijan, it can decide to do so. So it's a very interesting situation that makes, because it's time bound, that makes both parties to work towards a, a solution. And now we're seeing, especially with the demarcation of borders, uh, that we're seeing that the both sides already, so this, this was a prediction of many experts that this statement essentially meant the acceptance of international borders between two countries. So now, now we're moving to that demarcation of, of borders. Now we see that both sides, okay, this is the border that, that is international border accepted by the international community. So let's talk, what are we doing after that? After we have the border in place, we'll speak, we'll talk about the communications, opening up trade relations, opening up the visits. So all these, we have five years ahead of us. And it's a, it's, it's a lot of time to give right messages to communities, to peoples, to both countries, and to start working together for lasting peace. For Azerbaijan, the uh, war uh, has stopped and uh, there is no intention to continue this war further on. Azerbaijan has no territorial claims towards Armenia. Quite the contrary, weak Armenia in this situation is is bad for the region is is not a good trading partner is not a good uh, security partner uh, armenia in chaos is bad for everyone in, in in the region so they there needs to be a for, you, you don't want your neighbor to be a mess so we need to have a credible partner on the other side so that we can sit and talk what we can do further thank you very much uh I'd like to uh, also touch upon uh, the EU, for example. We did talk a lot about Russia, and we can all agree that Russia has actually increased its uh, leverage, at least in the next uh, five years. But what about the EU? It has uh, uh, also uh, France, who is uh, chairing also the Minsk group. Uh, Benjamin, can you tell us your view of France's position during this conflict and uh, of the EU? Previously, we, we did mention in previous episodes that um, EU, some EU member states were active, but that the, the, the EU as a, as a whole, uh, it was a bit passive. Do you still think uh, this was the case and that this will be the case in the next, for example, five years? What are your expectations? Uh, first of all, let's remember that the European Union was not member of OFA Minsk Group, I mean, as an organization. Yes, individual EU member states, they were members of OFA Minsk Group, we know that France is co-chair. Also, we know that Germany, Italy, and some other EU member states are the member of OSCE means group, but not the EU as an organization. Right. Regarding the position of France, uh, France was 
active in criticizing Turkey's involvement in the Nagorno-Karabakh war and uh, criticizing Turkey's efforts to deploy the mercenaries from Syria in the Nagorno-Karabakh war zone. Uh, we heard several statements from President of France and also France Minister of Foreign Affairs and also France uh, made some efforts to reach the ceasefire on October 17 when the original ceasefire agreement signed in Moscow it was uh, immediately violated. The second attempt was done by France and by some personal efforts by President Macron but unfortunately this ceasefire also didn't uh, held uh, or held only for some hours but France was yet active. He was criticizing Turkey's involvement and he was criticizing uh, deployment of Syrian mercenaries in the conflict zone. The European Union as an organization it wasn't active, yes. We saw some uh, calls from Joseph Borrell, for example, to Armenia and Azerbaijani foreign ministers, calls to, oppose, to stop hostilities, but these were only some neutral calls. And at least from Armenian perspective, there was a perception in Armenia that the European Union is a union which is based on values, which we hear all the time, starting from 1993, 1994, when Armenia started its interaction with the European Union. We all always have been told that the European Union is a union based on values. And uh, many people thought in Armenia that, yes, European Union is not a military organization. So European Union has zero chances to be militarily involved in this conflict. But at least European Union could raise its voice against uh, mass violations of international humanitarian law. But unfortunately, we didn't hear any such statement from European Union. Now only EU is speaking about the necessity to have some um, in international in investigation, but let's see what uh, how these calls will mat materialize or not. And uh, I believe that the European Union now can be involved in post-war reconstruction. Again, I'm not speaking about post-conflict because at least from Armenian point of view, conflict has not been solved. We simply have new status quo with much reduced Nagorno-Karabakh territory, but also with new uh, feature the Russian conflict has not been solved, at least from Armenian point of view. So uh, we cannot say that, okay, EU should be involved in post-conflict reconstruction works, but we believe that Europe should be involved in post-war reconstruction work and also humanitarian assistance and etc. But uh, besides that, I don't see at least now that the European Union can play any meaningful role in triggering the further negotiation with OFA and MIS group. And my understanding is that Azerbaijan believes that Minsk Group has lost its credibility. We all saw the meeting of two co-chairmen of OSCE and Minsk Group, co-chairs of France and the United States with President Aliyev in Baku, when President Aliyev uh, overtly stated that he didn't invite them and he didn't want to, want to see them. At least in Armenia, we understood this as a clear message that Azerbaijan uh, didn't want to see the continuation of OFA Minsk Group. And Azerbaijan has no intention to continue ne negotiations to uh, reach uh, the, to solve the status issue of Nagorno-Karabakh. But again, if we come back to the European Union uh, position, I believe that uh, neither during the war nor after the war, European Union uh, had or will have any active involvement besides uh, some <coughs> humanitarian assistance or humanitarian activities. Thank you very much. Anak, do you have the same or maybe different position on the EU? 
Uh, yes, I actually uh, would like to also allude to a question that I, the, the, to the part of the question that you uh, you asked, but I did not have a chance to respond regarding the role of Turkey uh, that uh, my colleague Benjamin also alluded to. <clears throat> the Turkey's role in the conflict, uh, as perceived in Azerbaijan, was purely political and moral support. Uh, Turkey didn't participate in any military activities in Azerbaijan on Azerbaijan's side. All, uh, of course, Azerbaijan, ha uh, as an independent country, is free to purchase any weaponry from anywhere it wants. And uh, actually, Serbia is one of them, that Azerbaijan's military uh, industrial partners. And Turkey's role, again, uh, that, that is widely uh, overstated in, in many, uh, by, by the experts, especially in Armenia, that uh, Benjamin has just mentioned about the deploying of mercenaries, which we fail to see any credible evidence of, of, of the presence of, of those mercenaries or Turkish soldiers for that, uh, for, for the record. I mean, there, is, there hasn't been no, no, uh, uh, no credible evidence to prove that. And also when Macron uh, mentioned and, and called to parties to, to stop the conflict, and yes, they, uh, he made political statements pressured by the Armenian diaspora, which is very, very strong in France. Uh, but also we have to remember Macron's statement, which was widely distributed in social media when he was asked by a group of people that what, why France didn't intervene in the conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan. And he openly said that Nagorno-Karabakh and seven adjacent districts are territories, are the international recognized territories of Azerbaijan. And France has no right to intervene because it's an independent country and the war has been going on within the international borders of Azerbaijan. And Turkey here played a role. Uh, perhaps uh, we should we should show as experts we should show more appreciation to Armenians' feelings about Turkey. Maybe there has been uh, there hasn't been an acknowledgement of those feelings. So this is something that has to be <clears throat> has to be mentioned that uh, Armenia has special feelings, whatever when it, when it comes to Turkey, which is uh, rightly so. I mean, there's there, there are legitimate reasons for that. But in this specific instance, Turkey, uh, Turkey's role was merely reduced to being a very uh, vocal and moral support and political support for Azerbaijan. International, from the international legal point of view, uh, that is, again, both Armenia and Azerbaijan, they are free to choose their partners in that respect. Coming back to the, to the role of the EU, uh, uh, the European Union has declared many times uh, during the conflict and after the conflict that uh, they call the parties to solve the conflict because uh, the, the, the solution, the, the basis for the solution of the conflict are were the, the UN Security Council resolutions. And then that's the only international legally binding document that everyone can agree with. And for all those years, EU member states and France uh, as we speak about France, has been calling on Armenia to withdraw from the occupied territories, but Armenia was refusing to do so. Right now, what is the role for the EU? The EU has, is better placed than any other partner, any other country or organization, if we call it that way, to come in and help with uh, the reconstruction of the region after the war helping with demining 
because there are so many mines, uh, uh, land, especially anti-personnel mines, uh, in that uh, lib in those liberated areas, also probably in the in, on the side where Armenians live, but I'm not sure whether that there are many lines there. But there are tons of mines in the in the territories where Azerbaijan is now controlling. So that there is a huge role for the EU to help with those efforts, help with alleviation of the uh, of the difficulties of Armenians living in Karabakh, helping Azerbaijan to help. Uh, remove those difficulties for Armenians of uh, Karabakh and building those trust and confidence between Azerbaijan as a country and Armenia as a country, because there is a lot of work to be done there and the EU is uh, more or less a trusted partner. When it comes to OSCE Minsk Group, yes, OSCE Minsk Group hasn't been doing its job for many years, so we saw who managed to solve to bring the parties together, it was Russia, but uh, uh, US is far away and is, in, is, is busy with other problems, whereas France too has had more of a one-sided approach to the conflict, uh, supporting Armenian position and supporting Armenia as a, as, a, as a country. But here, there is, unfortunately, there is very less that they, very, very few things that the OSCE means group as such can do. I think it's up to Azerbaijan and Armenia bilaterally to solve any differences in their relations. Uh, thank you very much. We're approaching the deadline. Uh, we need to finish this episode. It was really interesting hearing both sides. As previous episode, I think this one is uh, also as good. Uh, I would also we we can I would like to say that uh, it seems that we can agree that the EU has some kind of role to play in the post-conflict uh, development of the region. So we here issue a call and statement to those EU policymakers listening to this podcast that they are invited to help in economic and peace development in the region. So finally, I would like to ask Benjamin and then you, Anar, if you can make a 30-second or one-minute statement to the other side of the conflict. How can you reassure them that the next five years could possibly lead to a peaceful negotiation and potentially to the end of the many-year-long conflict in the region? So, Benjamin, you have the As I mentioned, okay. As I mentioned, uh, we in Armenia strongly believe that if we do not want to be in a vicious circle and maybe to start the third or fourth Karabakh war somewhere in 2025 or after 2025, uh, we have to negotiate and we have to try to come into the acceptable uh, solutions regarding the status of Nagorno-Karabakh. At least if there is a no acceptable solution, at least we have to accept that there is a problem of the status of Nagorno-Karabakh we may agree that uh, this problem cannot be solved for coming five years, but at least we have to accept that there is a such a problem. If we will say that, okay, there is a no such a problem, there is a no status of Nagorno-Karabakh, and simply Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh will have Azerbaijani citizenship and live happily in Azerbaijan, I'm afraid this will not bring us closer to the peace. Thank you very much. And as you have the final word. There is a lot of opportunities to talk uh, to talk about uh, trade investments and uh, transportation energy and communications I think these are the things that Azerbaijan has declared that it wants to talk about how we can bring prosperity to the region how, how we can be, bring prosperity to both peoples of Azerbaijan and Armenia 
uh, and have cross-border cooperation and visits and uh, building transportation lines and building communication lines. So that is something that we have to concentrate in the next five years so that the trust, uh, the trust is uh, between the parties is there and is strengthened. And there are, there are opportunities to discuss further uh, development of cooperation. The first thing I think both parties should do should open the diplomatic relations between uh, between uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia should should start should send maybe ambassadors to 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 each capital and start a political dialogue. So that is the way to move forward. If 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 both sides agree on that, that would be a huge breakthrough. We're expecting breakthroughs in the next five years. And uh, my dear guests, uh, thank you once again for talking to us uh, at the European Policy Center. So this has been a second episode in a, in a row. I hope that we'll have to, uh, an opportunity to talk again about this issue, hopefully in an even better uh, context. I also thank our dear listeners for tuning in and for patiently uh, following us. Uh, we hope that they'll stay in touch with the following episodes we have in the future. Thank you all. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.